Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Mack Weldon. With a smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience, Mack Weldon underwear is definitely better than whatever you're currently wearing. Mack Weldon is the underwear of choice for The Watch, and it should be for watch listeners. Nothing makes you more comfortable while watching prestige television than wearing Mack Weldon underwear. In addition to looking great and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities, so they work hard too, even if you were just sitting on the couch. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means that they eliminate odor. All that, and they are shipped right to your door, and if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you. No questions asked. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first purchase using promo code WATCH. Get more comfortable while watching Peak TV. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, his grayscale is looking better and better every day. It's Andy Greenwald! What would it take, do you think, in your life to be having a medical procedure done to you? Mm. And it's not a nice one. No. For you to then turn towards the technician or completely unqualified intern, in the case of Game of Thrones, and do give that manly nod. You know oh, what I mean? Like, like, go on. I don't have it in me. No, me either. I don't have that gear. Andy, what a show for us today. We are part of the Ringer Podcast Network, the mm-hmm. Ringer Podcast family, all of our favorite podcasts under one umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, so support, subscribe, go check those out, write iTunes reviews, do whatever you feel. Uh, today we are talking about Game of Thrones, uh, Season 7, Episode 2, Stormborn. Mm-hmm. And then we are also talking about some of the trailers that came out of the San Diego Comic Convention. Mm. One of my favorite conventions. We're talking a little bit, not enough, fr- quite frankly, about Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. And then we are joined by Twin Peaks star of mm-hmm. last night's Twin Peaks episode, in some ways, Matthew Lillard. Now, if you have not seen last night's episode of Twin Peaks, I, I recommend that you you watch it for this interview. But... Mm-hmm. I am going to go out on a limb and say this is one of the best hangs we've ever had on this podcast. It was awesome. Yeah. So Matt even- Lillard is a prince. He he has he is very very forthcoming with us about his experience on Twin Peaks. He does a great David Lynch imitation. His experience on on the perfect score. His experience on In the Name of the King, <laughs> yeah. a Dungeon Siege tale. <laughs> we get deep Wicker Park. Cuts, yeah, yeah. Actors so cuts. He's, it's just he's an awesome guy. trip through his career, and he was just an incredibly also, yeah. I would just say sorry, personable, awesome guy. And personal. I would say one of the best things about this conversation, and I hope you guys stick around for it, even if you haven't watched any of those things we talked about, is that it is a really revealing. Um, he's very revealing about what it's like to be a working actor. Yeah, and I feel like that is something that isn't talked about. Now, it's not like woe is me, actors are coal miners. No, but, but you don't understand like what the middle class actor is doing. Yeah. Yeah, right. All right, let's talk quickly about Thrones. Obviously, Andy and I appear weekly on Talk the Thrones with Mallory and Jason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can watch that on Twitter. You can watch the replay on twitter.com slash ringer. You can watch it right now. We've retweeted it. it. We've RT'd that, John. Uh, last night's episode was, was a pretty fun one, very chatty uh, until the last five to ten minutes when all hell broke loose on the seas. Yeah, someone was saying this to me. It's just like, let's just think about the budget flexing of the show for a minute, where they have a globe-spanning, relatively talky 50-minute episode, Mm -hmm. longer than a 55-minute episode. And then it's just like, oh, by the way, here's an 11-minute naval battle with flames falling from the the sky. Um, So a lot of our takes are you can just find in the Talk the Thrones thing. I don't want to belabor it. Obviously... Um, 
I think the Prince who was promised idea is like a pretty big one that's going to have a lot of impact on the rest of the season. A lot of these, uh, and then there's obvious, and then I don't know, there's just a ton of well, stuff we could talk about, like Cersei and the Scorpion or whatever. Well, there's yeah. the theme stuff, and there's the kind of interesting note that we didn't really talk about, just like in the, in the show has been has done this before, but with specifically with these characters, like the course corrections that it does, that mm-hmm. are a little bit aggressive. Yeah, it's in a, that what what is what is one you wanted to, to well, talk Dorn. about? Like Dorn is universally considered. I, I I think Game of Thrones is rightly celebrated almost unanimously across the board. I think its missteps have been just shockingly few. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the portrayal of sexuality and sexual violence has been um, a problem for a lot of people. There's been legitimate criticism made um, about it, mm-hmm. and the representation and handling of it, but also the handling of the Dorne plotline. Like generally, Jamie and Bronn's adventure in Dorne is considered a low point for the show narratively, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the Sand Snakes in particular are as characters that just kind of didn't work uh-huh. on screen. And you can watch the show, and this is one of the reasons why they're brilliant, I think, is that they 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 give people what they want. You know, it is... Especially now that they they're are... Off, they're off they're book. book, yeah. But, like, the, the handling of the Sand Snakes, where it's just like, uh, we'll bring them back to murder them, you know, because we are still mad about them, as, as happened last night. You know, I, I made the point on the show, it's like, considering the, the reduced number of players, it, it you see what they're doing when they knock pawns off the board mm-hmm. first you know they needed a, they needed a battle early they needed some they needed the good guys quote unquote to take some L's so they took L's in the form of Dorn and the Greyjoys you know who are, who have never been particularly popular characters did, did you see by the way in reading about the Sand Snakes thing today online on Vanity Fair and Joanna Robinson's pieces did you see that that Alexander Siddig the guy who played Prince Doran just just like flipped a match behind him on the show and like oh, watched did he, it burn he wasn't into it he was real pissed that he got killed. Remember, he came back for one episode and was stabbed to death in the yeah, season Yeah, in the premiere. first episode of last season, right? Yeah, which, again, felt like course correction. And he was like, what's up with this? He was like, if they wanted to kill me, why did they contract me for four episodes? He's like, this is ridiculous. My fans were excited to see me play this character. And I'm like, okay, slow down, Dr. <laughs> Deep Space Nine. Like, I don't know if anyone was really that excited about it, but, but still... They are making decisions on the fly here. Yeah. They are responding. I, the other thing that I, I was I realized when the battle started last night was that I was like, oh yeah, this is what it feels like when like action happens on this mm-hmm. show. You know what I mean? Because there hasn't been it, much. And even the season finale of last year with the um, the the explosion in the sept, the the mm-hmm. um, that was a set piece quote unquote, but one that was largely derived the tension was derived out of cross cutting, which you could do. Yeah, the music. Like you yeah. and I could I mean you and I could not shoot that right now, but you and I could shoot it within a couple of different interiors. It's not anything on the scope of Battle of the Bastards or anything mm-hmm. like that. So this naval battle, which was like I, I just it was funny because it happened in the last few minutes of the episode and we we're just about to go on and do the Yeah, argument. we were almost yeah, out the door. And I was like, oh damn. Like yeah, this is happening. Th- now. That is a that that noise you heard on deck is actually going to be shown. I thought it was going to be like oh like I thought it was going to guys cut. are partying or something like that. I or thought when thought she says cut. Yeah. you're on. I thought it was going to cut. Nope. Yeah, you know, they like to they like to to do it. They deliver. Um, anything else you wanted to take away from it? I I find that like the the we've talked about this a couple of times on the Twitter show. The idea of how information is being shared and how information. Mm-hmm is being manipulated and believed or disproved mm-hmm. is fascinating. You put your point last night about Cersei sitting on the throne and kind of stoking the uh, xenophobic fears mm-hmm. 
of some of the lords about like, look, you may hate me, but you can't want Dothraki wandering that the never works yeah. in the real world. Yeah. That sort of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I had two other things before we move on to the other the other topics. Um, one is I'm sort of realizing and, and and we heard even just as we were about to record that some people were a little bit down on this episode. There's a lot of talking, a lot of, as we said on the show last night, a lot of the subtext being made text mm-hmm. like Varys and Daenerys talking it out, understanding the relationship between the Tarleys and the Reach and all this stuff. Um, and, and this feels weird to say this as a barely recovered TV critic, but I do feel in a way the show is post-criticism because it is an experience. And yes. it, obviously it's more so for us now because we are watching it and then going on a TV show to talk about it. It would probably be different if I had to sit down and write a recap like I used to. But I feel with the show now that we are on the part of the roller coaster where you put your hands up and you're just going down. You know I, what I mean? I, that, that, yeah. I, so all the talking just feels like it's part of this final crazy push and which let me rephrase i don't think anything is believe me no one would ever accuse me of thinking things can be beyond criticism that's not my brand but (laughs) and i'm very big on brand building but there is something about this just just wait for andy's uh dunkirk take tom cardi is a quitter (laughs) tom hardy tom hardy should have had more in the tank um do you know what I'm saying here? Like Absolutely. It, I think that um, I would say that for me, I I do think of uh, the show as pre and post Red Wedding in, mm-hmm. in terms of. Uh, That's a lot of post. Uh, yeah, but it it stopped because I didn't read the books. My experience with the show is literally just the episodes up to, the you know, the episodes that we've seen. The emotional sort of involvement that mm-hmm. I had with the idea of like, I think just because I was actually like, oh, Traditional storytelling tells me that this is going to be a story about the Stark family. Right. And Rob is important. Oh, right. Before the show taught you what it was going to be. Yeah. And even though Ned goes out so early, I think that you get focused on certain characters and you're like, well, the Game of Thrones is a story about this this family and eventually they'll get back into, you know, mm-hmm. to, to good standing. And it's obviously not. And I think that the show right now, it's almost like watching an Olympic team where you've got like the, the, the sort of iconic characters it's the final who are re- of the Olympics yeah. you mean? and they're they're the remaining characters are so iconic that they don't quite have the familial interlocking bonds anymore that you know you were used to in the maybe the first well, few Sansa seasons and John and Arya and Sansa yeah but they and... are also separated a lot of the time yeah. I mean we're now just starting to see the Stark family coming back together and even on the precipice of Arya returning to Winterfell you've got John going south so I mean unless they bump into each other on the road nah man she's uh, on the road he's on the boat yeah that's right so yeah very interesting stuff L- last thing about it just thinking about this after last night's show, um, you mentioned at the beginning this idea of well maybe there's more than one prince who has promised you know mm-hmm. um it is interesting to suddenly see the endgame brought into focus and realize that we've been very easy. We've been very. It's been very easy to root for Daenerys and Jon Snow as much as we root for anything on the show, but to be invested in their heroic journeys, only to suddenly realize now. And you could see this coming. This isn't a surprise. But to really, as a pure viewer of the show, be forced to realize the collision course that we're on, they might not both win. Mm-hmm. They might be at cross purposes. That would be truly radical, you know, if that we Jason and Mallory were saying that Daenerys was acting a little mad queeny when she talked about um, potentially burning Varys alive. What if there's an uh, epic heel turn coming after people we love like Tyrion have pledged themselves to her that this felt inevitable? John saying he doesn't want to be king. What role are they to play still? They're, they're, we're headed towards traditional um, final battles. Mm-hmm. There is a boss battle coming, obviously, against the Night King, but. 
what what's a happy what is a happy ending? Yeah, it's kind of the same thing I was saying with the family stuff. I mean, we're taught very clear things, and and you know, George R. R. Martin has his version of uh, a subvert like uh, subverting basically like these ideas about Prince Charming, etc. And then we are taught like things about like, well, yeah, obviously, but these two have to fall in love and then they mm-hmm. have to defeat this. And it's just like the likelihood that we're going to get through eight seasons of this with that still intact is pretty I, slim. I also want to say, because I, I, I might forget if, because there'll be so many more things happening next week. Um, this thing that, that we talked about on the show briefly of um, paying things off. Mm-hmm. Generally, as a fan of TV and as a fan of the imperfect mechanism that is TV, I am against it. I am pro Pine Barrens on The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah. Loose ends can be loose ends. That's how life works. Art should work that way too. But it is really breathtaking to be watching a show for seven seasons and then have the fact that in season one, Jon Snow and Tyrion had a little moment be hugely relevant. Yeah, the, to survival, the difference to between him being staying made. or going. And, I mean, that's yeah. It, it it was all one story. It was all connected. I mean, you, you shouldn't hold people to that standard in storytelling. I think it's it's damaging to the creator. It's damaging to the fan. But in this case, it's happening. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Um, let's uh, end there with Game of Thrones and just talk quickly about some of these trailers that came out over the Big weekend. Big week at Comic-Con. Not, we didn't go. We did, not, we did not go. We're waiting. You know, we there are... Maybe we should have talked to Matt Lillard. We could have, we could have moderated a Scooby-Doo panel. <laughs> uh, I think we should probably stick to the big ones, which... I want to start with Stranger Things. Me too. Um, Stranger Things. So obviously there has been some law change in music supervision where <laughs> it, it, there was a time 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, there was a time 15 or 20 years ago when it was like bad form for a band to let their music be used in a commercial. Mm-hmm. That's obviously not the case anymore. Then there's obviously there were things like in a Scorsese movie. Yeah, then you, you might the, hear the stones. The, the big expensive music thing. But it yeah. was there were still these holdouts. Like you couldn't get Zeppelin. Zeppelin, like to just get Zeppelin on the like their publisher on the phone was like cost you twenty thousand dollars. Also paying for it. It's both would they allow it and I don't know it. what changed, but the fact that Stranger Things season two's first full trailer is soundtracked almost entirely by thriller yeah. is wild to me, Dan. Well. Also, just I I've I'm still here just saying that I find this show like very, very enjoyable and I'm actually quite excited for it to come back. I know that it's like Dragon's Lair and, you know, Steve looks like Ferris Bueller even more now. And there's and there's they're all dressed up like Goonies and stuff like that. Or Sorry, Ghostbusters. But um, I'm excited. I don't know. I just I, I do find there's something inherently charming. about. Can this I show. sidebar for a second? Just bond with you for a moment as as 80s babies. Mm. Um, Dragon's Lair is probably to date the single most frustrating it's experience garbage. in my it's life. It's a garbage. It's a garbage. It was the game. biggest waste of pocket change in history. Yeah. So for people who don't know, and it's in the trailer, look, arcades were the shit. Like that. Yeah. That was what you could do with your time, and that was the best thing to do. Like, and they were also like a very like big bonding experience because there were all these yeah. multiplayer yeah. games like NBA Jam or X Men or Street Fighter or whatever. I remember you... Operation Ho- the one with the two submachine guns? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this stuff was so fun. This was our childhood. And there was this one in the corner that looked really interesting because, you know, we thought like the the Tron game had good graphics, yeah, quote unquote. Right. But like Dragon's Lair, Don Bluth, the animator, made an animated film, and we're like, oh my god, you can! It's a living cartoon, and it costs fifty cents instead no, of a quarter. I, I don't. It's at Spaceport. It costs like a buck twenty five. Damn. Are you you're wilding? Where'd you get fifty cent Dragon's? Probably Lair? like Wilkes-Barre, PA, when I was visiting my grandparents. Okay. A different economy scale up there, but but. 
you play this game, and the thing is, it was pure timing because it was literally a laser. No, display. there's nothing to do except the screen would flash, and you'd have to hit the buttons or turn to the right or whatever at the exact moment, or you would die like they do in this trailer, and it would just happen. You would Did just... you ever know anybody who like got really deep and like far into that game? I always died like at the very first oh me moment. too, and I would always get tricked into it. Yeah, no, I mean. Very frustrating, but a, a, a nice. Throwback. So that's in there. Are so, you excited for the new season? Let me say yes. I uh, we've gotten a long way from season one, and in the aftermath of season one, a couple things happened. One was I was very adamant, being like, they should just make this an anthology show. You don't need to do a sequel. Yeah. Come on, now you you did it once. Try something else. Um, I think we all got a little kid fatigue. Like they were trotting the kids out like mascots at every award ceremony. They've been doing this lap. You know, they're nominated for this year's Emmy because yeah. of when the show came on. And also, as we've talked about, creators in Hollywood were pretty down on the show. So I think the narrative was a little bit of it was a little bit of a backlash to the show. I watched this trailer. I'm with you. I'm in. It was it's 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 really great. Yeah. Like it's really it reminded me of something that I felt at the time and we talked about that I had forgotten, which was this show was extremely pleasurable to watch. It was really fun to have. There's a few also more like there's a lot it. of shows. There's a lot of and most of what you saw coming out of San Diego was either um, a sequel mm-hmm. or d- a deeper dive into pre-existing stuff. Um, I was struck by how much I was like, I kind of want to know what happened with Mike and like with Mike, yeah. like that that they, ended. Like there was not a lot. There was resolution, quote unquote, to getting him back. But you don't really know, like, oh, not Mike, but what's what's the Will. kid's name? Will, yeah. Will, sorry, well, I want to know what's up with Will because you, 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 this upside down is is not also, very. Also, that kid wants to go ISO. Yeah, he was he was off the board for the first season. He wants to show his chops. Yeah, I know he's got those other is... kids got all the award show dab. <laughs> I know. No, but it, it it's um not just that it 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 looks like the Duffer brothers uh have taken advantage of the budget, not just in terms of soundtrack. It looks more polished, mm-hmm. you know. And I think they they've they've the things that they are in love with, they have the right things to be in love with. It seems to be veering more horror, a little more Stephen Kingy. And um it it I love that it here here's let's make it simple. I love that they're calling it Stranger Things too. They are embracing this idea that is really not done in TV, even if even though we talk about shows as, you know, ten episode movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're making a sequel. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I like that. That's a different way to think about it, even though that seems very basic. And that seems to make that makes a lot of sense to me. So that's out in Halloween. Uh, let's talk quickly about Westworld. Westworld trailer. Yeah, I didn't even know they were filming it again. I I, I thought they were just like taking a beat to. Really I thought that think they were it. like, we need to, we have to figure out what the hell happens next. But 20, 2018, Yeah, it's, that was it's all not they coming said. back till next year. Um, answered the question that Luke Hemsworth character is still alive. I don't know if that was kind of up in the air. And Ed Harris. And Ed Harris is there. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is rolling deep on Team Human. It and looks like Team Tiger. Yeah, and Team yeah. Tiger. Uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really give any indication whether like what's happening, it, but it does suggest. I would say that the trailer feels like a little bit more fun, and if Westworld was a little self serious, yeah. I think I, I don't. I, but the the trailer is the trailer, so they're so people are so smart at cutting trailers for specific audiences. This is a Comic Con trailer. Yeah. Um, you know, I said recently, I think season one, I think it was a bad show. I think that I've also said that I think um, there's a lot of opportunity to make a better show in another season, especially with time to think about it in a more, you know, streamlined production process, because the, pr- the production of the first season was troubled, to say the least. That said, I, I, I don't really care about this. You know what I mean? Like the the, the trailer and this is pitched towards towards San Diego. So it's not really necessarily um it's, you can't judge it what the season's yeah. going to be. 
But there's just a lot of dead bodies and people getting shot. And the idea of these people getting shot again and again in their little dystopia, it's just not, <laughs> okay. that's not interesting <laughs> to yeah, me. Yeah. But they find this endlessly fascinating, you know? Yeah. Show me a living tiger, Jonah Nolan. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what do you want? What else do you want to talk about? You want to do Justice League? You want to talk Thor? Justice League. Um, how about Ready Player One? Was weird. I I am hoping that that is just a bad teaser. But uh, I, I saw didn't... a bunch of people who were like, "This sucks. Nothing from the book is in it." Or there was like there were, like there was like some real like book bookheads people who were big fans of the Ready Player One book by Ernest Klein were like, "That's not what I wanted," but yeah. Um, I just don't like motion capture. Me either. And, uh, it's 60% but motion capture, so... Here, I, here's my other problem with it. The trailer... Well, okay, you, you talked about Thriller being used in the Stranger Things mm-hmm. and how everything is kind of a mashup and potpourri of culture now and, and nostalgia and just hitting trigger points in ways that we didn't think were possible because of, like, brand sharing, which is now, you know, world building. So this trailer is, like, Freddy Krueger is in it, right? And there's, like, the Bigfoot monster truck, and it's this mashup of 80s culture all together, as if this is somehow exciting for us, that we want to relive the games we played in the sandbox or whatever. The bummer to me is Spielberg is in this. Spielberg directed this. Mm-hmm. And the way he's in the trailer, he's introduced as cinematic game changer Steven Spielberg. Um, I guess that's sort of, like, because the... Ready Player, it's like virtual reality I, game. I so get I hope it. That's like the joke, not that. But Stranger Things, the guy directed Munich. Like you can, you can just say great filmmaker Steven. It's Spielberg. not just that. It's that everything <laughs> that is fueling the nostalgia, he did. Or he George took Lucas his stuff did. out of it, though. Apparently. Well, that's fine. But I'm not saying it's backwards looking. I'm just saying it's a bummer to me that he's just like rolling up his sleeves and being like, okay, this is what the kids want. They want retro cartoons. I can do that. You know, when he was doing it the first time, it yeah. was it was forward looking. Yeah, yeah. This feels backward looking. Well, he, the crazy thing is that so this is coming out, and I don't know whether which one is first or second, but three within three months, mm-hmm. Ready Player One and the papers are coming out mm-hmm. uh, at the same time. So he's done that before. Actually, there was the year did Munich and Minority Catch Report me if, and Munich? Catch Me If You Can or Munich. They, yeah, he, yeah, He's done. He's had a year where he had a fun movie and a serious movie. Yeah, I, I'm just happy the guy's working. Look, me too. I mean, yeah, you, you have to see a Spielberg movie. Uh, Justice League for a second. Sure, on? man. Let's rock it. Feels weird, man. Well, so today there was a report in I think it was Variety that they are spending 25 million dollars on the Joss Whedon reshoots of this movie, which they said it was just for like punch up of dialogue and uh, for you know some connective tissue, but this now seems to be I mean what we do now, which is basically shoot a blockbuster, release some footage, do a test balloon, and then reshoot it. Which is so in in that sense, it's hard to get too uh, annoyed about. I'm not I don't I could give a shit one way or the other. Yep. They could reshoot the entire thing. But the funniest part about all of this is that it is really affecting. Henry Cavill's mustache that he wants to have yeah. for Mission Impossible. That's your bigger concern? <laughs> That's in the what, fucking beast. It is? Yeah. I, how about what it's doing to Affleck? Affleck's melting down in front of our He's eyes. He's fine. He's like, I'm doubling down on Batman. Sure. Yeah. Great. That's because Matt Reeves didn't want to make the movie with him, right? I feel like I, I don't that, know. That's I mean, the vibe I got. But who should be like, these, like who they, cares? Yeah. Who cares? Here, here's the other thing about it. Um, Wonder Woman completely changed the narrative yes. for DC and Warner Brothers. Yes. It is the biggest movie of the year. It is beloved by many people. You know, it has a positive... Because Suicide Squad made money, but I don't know people who are like, 
that was the best movie of the year. That made me happier. It inspired my children. You know what I mean? <laughs> Can you imagine if the Suicide yeah. Squad kid is the kid in in Twin Peaks who likes letting off shots in a mini. Yeah, he's just like lick a shot and then like stares down Bobby Briggs. <laughs> he's like, everything I learned, I learned from Kinnaman. <laughs> That's incredible life advice. But Zack Snyder made a Zack Snyder movie, and then for truly sad reasons, I don't want to. I'm not. I have nothing negative to say about him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he had to step away from from this movie. But th- these things are living, these blockbusters, because of their importance to the bottom line, are living, breathing things. They well, will keep making this movie So the only reason I the last brought minute. this, yeah, and the reason why I think this is actually fascinating is I the economics of, of Hollywood are kind of mysterious to me in general. I mean, just like the idea of Netflix spending so much money on content, but they have like a bottom line that they, they have like, an idea about like we're yep. spending money to make money essentially yeah. and if you keep creating this thing where people can just like not watch TV and just live inside of Netflix and just have mm-hmm. all these options you don't have to worry about you're just going to keep adding subscribers what i think warner's is doing here as a guess is they are almost literally trying to keep up with a real time evolving conversation about superheroes yes movies. they are and they tried once to be like okay so marvel's going bright sunny funny. affirmative yeah. funny we're going to go dark gloomy dark night on steroids that didn't work okay so now we're going to course correct we're going to course correct wait one day people love wonder woman mm-hmm. shit we have this other movie coming out soon with wonder woman in it mm-hmm. we're already filming it yeah let's Let's like what? What can we do? Okay, let's get Joss Whedon in here. Let's do like, and I know that obviously circumstances are what yeah. brought Joss Whedon in the first place, but it seems to me like they are trying to mold the movie around almost like like yes. the people watching debates who are like tapping on who they're going to vote. That's for. exactly what. And, I think but they're, they're spending doing. so much money to do that. Yeah. So it's fascinating. I wonder, you know, in ten years, are we going to be, you know? Hey, we've got like all the actors who are going to play these parts, but we're basically like crowdsourcing how to make it. That's what's weird. I mean, there's no way. I think the Avengers movies proved this. There's really no way for one of these team up movies to be a quote unquote great movie. What Whedon did was manage them Mm -hmm. and they were fine. They were what they were. They accomplished what they needed to accomplish. They had the trailer scenes and then they spun off into the next movies. Right. And whether even one an individual superhero movie can be quote unquote great is another question. Do you remember a single thing that happened in Ultron? No, they've lifted up the city and the city fell down. Right. Quicksilver went bye-bye. Yeah, I remember three things, buddy. Yeah, sorry. But this is, this, they need this. Oh, yeah, Linda Cardellini farmhouse, right? Yeah, thanks for bringing that back. Yeah, that that happened. They they need this movie to be successful for the next movies. So Mm -hmm. they need to keep throwing money at it. But they are definitely, the reshoots are definitely about making more, making more of it about Wonder Woman, as they should, but because that's what's working. There's no way this can be coherent, right? But my biggest takeaway is it 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 looks like it still looks like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? No matter no, no matter how many like pithy one-liners they feed to Affleck or no matter how psych Momoa is air guitaring a trident in Hall H. Did you see that? I did. That's terrific. I'm glad he's enjoying himself. He so, should be enjoying himself. He's married to Lisa Bonet and he's Aquaman. This is actually a good Yo, a good jumping off what, point. What did you do when you watched that Justice League trailer and they were like, Arthur Curry? The Aquaman. <laughs> it's like, is that a thing that we're we're doing? Um, I would, you know, we take for granted. I think that Annie and I talk a lot about these these uh, superhero films, and and we're happy to engage with them. They are actually quite interesting in what they say about the industry and what they say about the stories that people are 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 engaged with. But um, we have also been very critical of generally the way they look. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can kind of be like, well, I wasn't that one was a little bit better. Mm. But it's uh, 
they're not always that stimulating in terms of like the, the sort of basic filmmaking stuff going on there. Uh, that is not the case with Dunkirk. <laughs> uh, if you care about movies, you should see this movie. Uh, in, in, and a, I, in a big theater. In a big theater. And I don't mean that in the, like, you really should see Hateful Eight on the way that Quentin Tarantino meant for it to be seen. It's like, you can watch Hateful Eight on a plane. It's fine. <laughs> I, it's, you should see it on a big screen, but don't worry about it. This movie is such a raw, visceral experience. Dunkirk is everything that... You know, the, spend $200 million on it. Mm-hmm. If that means making a film like this, like the largesse, like the IMAX cameras... Um, I, I I haven't been this like transported in such a long time. Where it's just from the the second this these billets come flying out of the the sky, saying we have you surrounded, yeah. yeah, to the very last shot, which Christopher Nolan finally ended a movie well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just absolutely. It's like having having somebody who's literally beating your heart with their own hand. Like they're they're key, you, everything that you are doing, you're in his hands, and you know that you could make critiques about the timeline manipulation. I've had I've had conversations with people who are like, well, I didn't like how there was any context. It's like these guys didn't have context. Right. The guys on the beach did not have David McCullough like like narrating their also, experience. Also, stop fucking holding our hands. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Show us something. Yeah. Stop telling me. I don't need World War II origins. Yeah. You know what I mean? What more do you need to know than a guy is walking down a street, he needs to relieve himself, but people are shooting him. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Let's go. The And I can't wait to see it again because I think that um, the film does so many incredible shots with a uh, point of view mm-hmm. of somebody being on one part of the beach and not knowing what's happening on mm-hmm. like a hundred yards away. Like when those guys are first coming up and they're like, He's like, where are you going? And he's like, that boat. And he's like, yeah, that boat's beached. What are you doing? And he's like, no, because like when the tide comes in, mm-hmm. we're just going to float away, mm-hmm. which is idiotic. Yeah. But it's actually like if I was stuck in that situation, I would be like, maybe I could become the Aquaman. Yeah. You know, I mean, like what I too can be the Aquaman. I, I, like I would be considering all possibilities sure. when, when Killian Murphy's like, I am not going back. Yeah. You got to keep your head on a swivel. man. Yeah. And it's just um, the performances. The cinematography is mind blowing. the 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 way it makes you feel like you're drowning, or you're flying, or you're scared, or you're small, or you're huge, uh, just everything about it was just I, gorgeous. I love this movie. I loved it. I loved going to see it. I had a great time seeing it. And people know I wasn't out here checking for a war movie. I wasn't out here checking even for the next Nolan movie. Yeah, because I've soured on him a little bit. This, I think, is his best movie in a lot of ways because it solves the problem of his other movies. Now, I'm only using that language because this is a guy who I do, on some level, looks at cinema like problem solving. And there is there already are stakes. He doesn't have to worry about that. He doesn't have to worry about um, exposition, honestly, as you're saying. He has found a subject matter that is already sweeping and enormous mm-hmm. and gripping. And then because of that, he was able to, to put some of his tricks onto it in terms of timeline, but in a way that I thought was incredibly respectful, incredibly gripping and interesting, um, purely from a structural level. And look, like I have never been a fan of, in any medium, of virtuosity. You know, I am not checking for Steve Vai records because he's the best guitarist in the world or whatever. I don't need someone just soloing. Mm -hmm. But this guy knows how to make movies and knows how to make them in a way that is primal. And 
I was all in on for that reason. This, I felt I watched this movie in those opening moments. You're talking about the, the, the little flyers falling from the sky, basically like you're dead. Surrender. Um, the sound of them, the footsteps, this town, the feeling of this is a place where life it once existed, but it's not life anymore. Yeah. A feeling the that cigarette con- butts a, in the ashtray. A feeling and, that yeah. is continued when Mark Rylance is living in a, the real world and then takes a boat to hell. Yeah. Um, th- this is an art film. I really felt like it was an art film. It was a work of art, of cinematic art. It, you know, I, the it, film it, that really I felt like was very influential on it is "There Will Be Blood" in a lot of ways. I felt that too. I felt like this was him watching P.T. Anderson movies and being like, "Okay, yeah." Again, maybe this is how he looks at things. That's a problem to be solved. How did he do something that epic and gripping and historical and human? But then also, how can I make four hundred million dollars at the box office with it? You know, which is what he's capable of doing this summer. First of all, who knew? There were so many beautiful boys still in England to be cast in this movie. A lot of great looks, even under the oil. And uh, the performances are, I actually think, probably underrated. I thought Jack Loudon was really good as the other pilot with uh, Tom Hardy. I kept calling him Stuart Murdoch because I thought it was the <laughs> lead singer of Bell and Sebastian. Great performance. Rylance might be, like, top top five dead or alive he's, right now. He's just, what, he's the greatest. Yeah, and and just that, it's so, he's he's got that combination of such like a lived-in character actor's face, but with that extra bit of I'm so good that I am the star. Yeah, you know? the charisma yeah. that he doesn't have to say. And Tom Hardy will just wear masks and still just be like, I'm the best. <laughs> he spent one movie driving a car. This, this is like, movie just This would be like Michael Phelps swimming with ankle weights on. Like, I don't, I, like, I don't, Fury Road, Dark Knight yeah. Rises, this. Like, he just wears shit on his face yeah. and he's still like, I could be James Bond if I tried. How about the fact that we joked the other week about the expanded Dunkirk universe? This movie sets up the sequel beautifully. Know, the Great Escape. A Hero of France. The Tom Hardy, escape. you can do this. That's uh, so the, the the last sequence is so incredible with the plane landing, but then he gets captured while he's watching the burning frame of the plane, but the plane is still I, hanging on there. I mean, th- there's a thing that you can I can hear criticism of the movie, of course, and I do wonder. I, when I left the theater and you know the high went down a little bit, I was I was I was picking nits a little bit, and I I've heard criticism that I that I understood or mm-hmm. recognized. I don't know if I want to see it again, partly for this reason, because yes, you it, it could be a problem to some people that you could reduce this movie to a series of scenes that sort of manipulate you into feeling one way, and then they build on top of each other in a way that is very flattering to the filmmaker who constructed them in a way. Sure, you know, there's this problem to be solved. There's this now they're in this predicament then there's this predicament on top of each other sure first of all that's how all movies are made that's narrative storytelling Mm -hmm. right no Um, it's like if you if you wanted the clint eastwood version of this that was like 80 minutes long yeah and it was just mark rylance on a boat i mean that who cares like what what, if you're gonna make it make it just go nuts the kid who gets hit by killian murphy like that whole thing i'm not entirely sure about george the george subplot you know first of all great sweater vest so he he went out a hero (laughs) but yeah, there are, there are things to Guys be... got dressed up to go to war. Seriously, yeah. they did. Like, they look better than I do going to work at a blog. Look, yeah. they, you know, they make black dishwater tea and pieces of bread with jelly on it. No, look I was real hungry. Good. I was yeah. like, that toast looks good, man. I don't think it was toasted. I don't think they had time to toast. Probably what are you, not. What are you, an officer? <laughs> I'm Branna. Um, it, it's an impressive achievement, and it made me feel great about the cinematic arts. I love the Kenneth Branna's. It's always in the round for him. He's just <laughs> like, what's the line? It's like, it looks like home. He's like, gotcha. Let's just check this shit out. Looks like 
Oh. How many days was he just on a pier to film this whole part of the That's movie? That's it. Did, did, they, like, did they wrap him in two days? I know. I know. Just like, Ken, we're going to have you go to the end of the pier today. It's, just, it's good stuff. Uh, okay, let's take a break. We'll hear from our sponsors, and we will be back with a great interview. Not great because of me and Andy, but great because of the subject with Matthew Lillard. It's always great because of you. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you are like me and you are not so great at planning ahead, I have got some news for you, and it's good news. There is this awesome app called Hotel Tonight that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. It sounds counterintuitive, but unlike flights, hotel rates actually get cheaper at the last minute. And Hotel Tonight helps hotels get rid of their unsold rooms by allowing them to pass these deals down to you. These aren't last resort places, though. They're actually really cool, top-rated hotels that you want to stay in. And with so many awesome partner hotels in a ton of different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or finally going on that trip that you've been wanting to take for a while. I've used Hotel Tonight multiple times this summer. You know, when you get into the dog days and you're just like, I cannot do another weekend just standing in front of my air conditioner, just you dial up Hotel Tonight. Pick a place. Live a little. Because even though the app's name is Hotel Tonight, you can actually book up to a week in advance. So if you're just like on a Tuesday and you're like, let's get out of here on Saturday, you're all good. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So get in on these killer last minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Spotify. Did you know that you can listen to The Watch and other pods from the Ringer family on Spotify? Yes! The streaming service that you know and love for music is also fully loaded with podcasts. Find us in the podcast section within the Browse tab when you're using Spotify on mobile, or just search for The Watch in Spotify. And, you know, while you're searching for things, feel free to dial up Chris Ryan 77 or Andy Greenwald as user profiles. We've got tons of playlists that we've made over uh, the year or so that we've been doing The Watch for Spotify playlists that are just bangers. Baranski Barbecue. Uh, we have our 97 Music playlist is still up there. What about Fishtown Connect? Fishtown Connect, that, that was an old classic. So while you're there, click to follow us to have our new episodes delivered right into your Spotify library. Head to spotify.com slash podcast for more. That's spotify.com slash podcasts. We are joined right now in the studio by Star of Twin Peaks. Star, star is not the One right of word. the stars of Twin Peaks. The one, guy who's one of 279,000 people. But one of the more memorable ones. <laughs> and star of my heart, yeah. Matthew Lillard. Huzzah! Thank you for joining us. R.I.P., man. R.I.P. Yeah. You spoiler, went out. spoiler alert. I feel like if people have gotten to this point in the podcast and they know you're on, they're, they're, they're kept, they're cat caught up. But we'll put a spoiler alert in the beginning. Also, okay, I feel like events on Twin Peaks The Return it's kind of spoiler proof, right? Because it's like there's the cherry pie in the box. Yeah, your character lost his skull because a interdimensional um, homeless man, homeless guy, yeah. came in yeah. and crushed it. That's so you know it's context is everything. <laughs> it is the context. Show. So we want to talk to you about obviously your performance in Twin Peaks and your role in Twin Peaks um, show in general. I want to do deep dive into the bridge. Which, um, as you know, I will go deep and hard. You know, you that's want. my show. That is, uh, that's your jam. But I feel like we should begin by talking about Comic Con because you just came back. You yeah. and a bunch of the cast did a panel. A weird collection of the cast. A very, please, You're, a very yeah, interesting I mean, All of them, a love, I mean, unbelievable. And, you know, I didn't know any of them, have never met yeah. any of them because I never worked with, with Right, you didn't with do them. scenes with any yes. of these people. Yes, so and you're is... like, all of a sudden you're a cast, and I, you know, you look at the Game of Thrones cast, and it's like they're celebrating being together because yeah, they're right. like dear friends. And right. I'm like, Naomi, <laughs> hi, I'm Matt. <laughs> um, 
And she hasn't seen the show, so she's like, she's not even watching she's it. She's not watching. I mean, she's uh, traveling. Actors, she man. hasn't been able to. Do, neither is Tim Roth. <laughs> so the two of them are like, you know, I'm like, I'm on the show. Yeah, they're <laughs> it's like, like sure. super, it's super you awkward. You may know from such films as Twin Peaks: The Return. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's so crazy. And uh, so, so it's Kyle, Naomi, Tim Roth, and then um, who else was there? Everett was there. Everett McGill was there. Yes, Big Ed. Kimmy was there. Lucy. Who is great. And then... Um, the guy who played Bushnell was there too, right? The guy who plays Dougie's boss? Yes. No, that's Don. Yeah, Don was there. Who Madeline used to Bud. work with Marilyn Monroe. Oh, wow. Who was doing push-ups last night on the show, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, it's it was a, it was a crazy collection of, of people. So you have these interactions with the fans. Like, are they mostly... Deeply appreciative? Do they have questions for you about like the in, inner meanings of the show? Like, what's I think the that every so I walked on. Uh, so Hall H has a lineup that goes for. Yeah. for this for is the days. major hall where they like you guys are in there, and then Justice League is in there, and then like yeah. it's the biggest. So it was Game spot. of Thrones right before us, and like, um, and two before them was Walking Dead. This is much like my viewing patterns, like, <laughs> like Game of Thrones I mean, and then Twin Peaks. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, but so the night before, like midnight, not midnight, like 11 o'clock, I walked up and down the Hall H line to mm-hmm. say thank you to everyone for waiting in line. Nice. Um, and in that line, you have the sort of voracious fans. Oh, because people don't give up their seat, right? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. You're there the, all day. Chris so, and I are big Comic-Con guys. <laughs> well, you have Tuesday. So somebody was there uh, Tuesday morning. Oh, my God. The God. first people in line Twin for Peaks? Hall H. Well, you're there all day. So you're like you're kind there. of, a, but they were there for Twin Peaks. So they lined up first on Tuesday afternoon for Twin Peaks. So you have to be, to really be, I thought I was a Twin Peaks super fan, but to really be one, I have to be unemployed. Yeah. <laughs> That's the real. Or, or have suspect employment. Suspect yeah. employment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to have a side hustle. You have to You have to be in the game. Right. Like, yeah. So were they, what, what was the interaction like? So they asked a lot of questions. I mean, they, you know, somebody introduced themselves as a Twin Peaks scholar, mm-hmm. which I was like, wow. I, I, I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but that, he was to. like, he's like, I, well, I said, can you explain episode eight? And he was like, absolutely. Yeah. With like 100 percent assurance. I was like, wow. So there are people out there like you. Um, look, I think the fan base is it's a little like being a part of Star Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have this fan base that is religious. I mean, they are voracious consumers of that world mm-hmm. and David Lynch and all things. Twin Peaks. And it's the same thing. We've been finding this with Thrones, too, where it's like, it's not only like the thing that you're watching on Sunday nights. People have been thinking about this for 20 years. They yes. have <laughs> 25 years. 25 years. They have their yes. own theories. They have their own imaginations. And they there's all this like ephemera that's surrounding the show that yeah. they're obsessed with. Um, I was curious about, I mean, obviously last night was a huge episode for you. Uh, and the last. And the last. Although episode. you never know. Yeah, right. Don't tell us. But you I know, mean, I won't, I won't say anything. Right. But it was a, it was a moment it hurt. It yeah, was, it was yeah, yeah. it was a definitive moment. It was definitely the a definition. In well, the we could talk about it in journey. detail. Did you get to keep the head? Um, no, I did not get to keep the. Head. Was there like a like a prosthetic? Like, oh, there that, was. Yeah. yeah, but the crazy thing is that they had in post removed the top because it was like there was like a they they removed it in post. Okay, so you were surprised. So they when made you saw it, it even worse. Yeah, yeah, because it was like disgusting, and then they made it <laughs> we, really. Disgusting. So you've been watching it. I think people need to know this. Unlike Tim Roth, you've been watching. The <laughs> yes, show, I have. And you are you are, and you're learning as you go because I think everyone. This isn't a secret that David Lynch filmed an enormous amount of stuff, and yeah. then he's putting it together. 
Yeah. So you didn't know when you would be in an episode or how it would play out. No, right? I so didn't you're... know I was in episode one and two. I oh, mean, you, at you, the premiere, my wife's like, are you in this? I'm like, no, I'm not until like episode 12. But one thing you do. <laughs> I was like, and then, they, you know, there's the president of yeah. Showtime going, you're amazing in tonight's show. I was like, what are you talking about? And then I thought for sure I yeah. would be, I went one, two. I was like, well, for sure I'm in episode three where I get my, you know, head yeah. blown. I mean, it's got to be bam, bam, bam. And then, you know, you don't. You took a month and a half off. Yes, until episode nine. But when you saw the scenes playing out last night, you knew what the scene was because you were yeah. there. Are you watching with your wife or anyone? Are you nudging them being like, buckle up? Or are you excited? Well, what, I what knew is your experience? they had screened it um, down in San Diego. Uh, oh, so okay. I was informed after that that. Indeed, I you get your gold device. watch. You've yeah, done your time in those. You've obviously worked on so much different stuff. But one of the things that's kind of cool about, especially the sequence that brings your character to some degree of finality, <laughs> is it features the kind of, I would say, very Lynchian special effects. Like obviously, he's staring up at this this the vortex. Vortex. Yes! There's like the electricity. The sound going design, which is incredible. Yeah, we've got like the. Uh, can you tell me tell us a little bit without giving obviously any state secrets away what his practical effects shooting style is like when it's you're also, on the he, set? Also, he's in the scene. Yeah, and which he's is in the scene. Right, he's directing himself to some extent. Yeah, yeah. He's but but the, you have to be you have to understand. I the only reason I saw any aspect of that was because David does this thing where anytime someone raps on the show, whether you're number one on the call sheet or number fifty eight. For that day, even if you work for one day, he brings you to set and everyone gives you a standing ovation. That's nice. Like a hearty, heartfelt standing ovation. It's not like, a, you know, like, a, oh, hey, good work. Now we move on. <laughs> yeah. It's like people come around and celebrate your work. That's, so that's nice. Which wild. is crazy. So the only reason I even knew David was in the scene, well, oh, that day he had put on his suit. So I was like, oh, he's in the scene. Yeah. Um, he's usually but wearing I, like full uh, Lululemon on the set. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be amazing. Yeah. He's just in a speedo. Yeah, he directs in a speedo. Nobody knows that. Yeah. Um, but they brought me to set for my farewell for that scene. So you, you know, saw for that episode. So that where where did you film that? that uh, Van Nuys, I think. Oh, I was in California. that scene was in Van Nuys. All yeah. my stuff's in California. Okay, so but you see, but like you see him, yeah. like just shaking. And then he's like, oh, that's good. You know, and he's like, <laughs> you know, he's kind of taking care of it himself. Yeah, like, I got it. He's like, boy, I nailed on. that. Yeah. Let, let's rewind the tape a little bit. You, I'm getting the vibe from our interactions that you were not like me, an obsessive making your own fanzine in the middle school computer lab Twin Peaks fan. No way. Oh, Is yes. Is that a true story? Oh, yes. Do you still have it? I have a large amount of my collection of stuff oh, and a God. picture of me wearing a trench coat. So where's the, the coffee fanzine, cup. though? I think I did find copies, but then when we moved, I think it's so I think it's in storage. But yeah. I, I made this thing like bit, you know, bit what is it called? Like dot matrix printer. Sure, yeah, of course. Twin Peaks Gazette. And I ran like a ticker on the side oh. inspired by USA Today, where I like scoured the pages of Premier <laughs> Magazine. No, in that style. Where, because this is this is nineteen ninety. I just imagining you like looking at USA Today like, and being like, This is great. This King, is what I was I'm like, King's things is wow. what I want to do. This but, is cutting edge. But you ha- what you had to do then is like I would read in Premier Magazine, you know, James Marshall will be taking time off from Twin Peaks to star in a fighting film called Gladiator. And I was like, oh, this is gold. And I like wrote it in my journal for 10 For the people. world to see. For, That's amazing. For the, I'm, I'm going to stop you on the world. But <laughs> for so, the junior high school The takeaway from this is that USA Today is a very inspiring publication. But the second takeaway is I was super into the show. Yeah. I don't know if you were. And so can you talk to no. us about how you came into this Dude, world? I don't. Because you're not in the not, I'm still not in the world. I'm still not. So I have not seen the first 
iteration of the show. At That's all. amazing. And I could actually, it's not, I don't really care. Cause, <laughs> because, because if somebody had given me something to build on, yeah. if he had, if, if anyone had told you anything, um, you know, and said that your characters, based on the events in these ep- right. first episodes, I would have gone back and watched. Yeah. There is nothing that connects you to anything. Disagree, having seen it, but, but for, but, for but your work. He, but, but, he, but, no, but he doesn't tell you anything. Right. There is nothing he gives you well, other he, than the pages that you have words on. So in the, so in the interrogation scene, episode nine. Mm-hmm. Which was just incredible. Thank you Beautiful. very much. Super, super proud of that moment. I'm happy it happened. Um, but, you know, the scene where they're on the other side of the glass, that's redacted from my script. No shit. So I don't even, even in that moment, wow. it completely had no idea that David Lynch was in my scene. Had no idea that Laura Dern was in the scene or that um, Ferrer, uh, uh, Miguel, Ferrer. Miguel, yeah. Miguel was there. And you had no knowledge of who major briggs is no idea canon like when somebody told me last night that the guy i circled was the guy from the original yeah, who's show. passed away who's being folded into the show through your character no idea plot line no idea uh is that a secrecy thing or is that like you should your character should know like what's the motivation in, in terms i don't of know it's a good question i think that david lynch i honestly think that the way he sees filmmaking and this is me just my hypothesis yeah. that I think that he just wants pieces that he can move mm-hmm. as he sees fit. Okay. And the more you know and the more you're connected or the more, like, he just doesn't really care about that. He just wants these operational figures to operate what he needs you to operate. Yeah. That's what, when they said that that's what Hitchcock was like, that the thing is in his head and you just have to kind of, like, You just go. And, yeah. and you literally hit the mark. And, I mean, I'll never forget. I never met David Lynch. Yeah. I showed up to work the first day. And I'm like, you hey. Nerv- you nervous? Uh, not really. Yeah. And I think that that's good because I don't think, I mean, I kind of looked at David Lynch. I'm like, I, I, I'm not a tiptoe dude. Yeah. We're, we're good. No matter, you know, I, I, I think he's a great filmmaker. I think he's an auteur. I think he's kind of cuckoo bananas. (laughs) And I kind of like the fact of calling him a little bit on his bananas. Like, you know, I think he's hilarious. Yeah. So I walked up and said, I'm I'm Matt Lillard. He's like, hi, Bill Hastings. I'm like, oh, that's how we're doing it. I have no idea. (laughs) Because he's like, hey, nice to meet you, Bill. And I'm like, oh, no. And I thought he thought it was somebody else. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. So I'm Matt Lillard. I play Bill. Oh. Bill Hayes. Okay, yeah, I know where we're at. But we had this moment where, like, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to, so like... So you didn't meet him until you were on set? No. The casting process, you're told that... Were you told what it's for? You do a reading or you yeah, just I knew it selected? was for... I, I mean, it was very secret. Um, I knew that I was meeting for Twin Peaks. But it wasn't an audition or it was? No, you sit in a room and the casting directors, who are two lovely ladies, were like, hey, You get how's... top billing on the show. I think yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, which is kind of crazy, yeah. which is amazing. Um, and then it's like, you know, Mark Frost, David Lynch, David Lynch, David Lynch, yeah. David Lynch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but as you sit in the room, like, you know, they're like, hey, how are your kids? I'm like, oh, my kids are great. And they pull out a camera. And I they see. Just, they're talking to you. Seems as, very natural. Yeah. And they're just like shooting you as they're talking about the, the weather. So this process obviously is, I mean, it could be. It could it could be alienating for some people to have that. But like, it sounds like he is like with the standing ovation thing. Such a genial, gentlemanly, like, lovely. does that compensate for, like, any of the, like, I'm not really sure, like, because, you know, if you're acting in literally a box and you can't see outside of it, I'm sure that you've 
that must be difficult. It's kind of liberating. Really? To be honest. I mean, look, I think personally, I think you, you're dis, it's like you're, you're, you're discommunic, you're disavowing for the five senses. Yeah. Like you're, you're, if I know where I'm at in a scene, I know what you want. I have the art. I mean, I have these preconceived notions. He's removing all of that. Mm-hmm. So there is a liberating aspect of it where you just hit your mark and you're like, dude, I, I better be good. And if it's not what you want, then you better tell me. I mean, the first scene in like the in the in the jail cell, mm-hmm. I was like, that's super arched. Is this where we're going? Yeah. He's like, you're great, Bill. <laughs> Don't worry, let's move on. I mean, he's like sort of crazy. He, he sits sh- there and smokes and like he like talks to you and yeah. you know, and it and Does he shoot this, fast? Oh, you're lightning. And you have two takes. Now, look, I think if you needed more takes, you would take more takes. Yeah. But if he gets what he wants, you're moving. When did you film it? When was this actually? A year ago. It was a year About ago. About a year ago. And the scene, the scene, episode nine sure, scene. Yeah. Um, when did you, when you started work on the show, uh-huh. on this arc, were you given all the pages of your character? Yes. So you knew that you had that coming. I, you're reading the script, you're like, I mean, boring, boring. Like, you know, you're just like yeah. another guy, another guy, another guy. And you get to that scene, you're like, oh, Christ. So how, you have the tools to do this scene. Obviously, you, you think you, you do. Off, but. You hope you do. I mean, look, in your, in my craft, in my job, in mm-hmm. what I believe is what I've spent my entire life to train mm-hmm. to do, you hope you have it. But, you know, you have days that that doesn't show up like that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Did you, you know. did like all the stuff with the guy's blog, all the backstory stuff that kind of comes out through the interrogation? Does that, are you, are you completely irrelevant? Irrelevant. Because, there, uh, and there's also like at that time, there was no access to anything. You're in a void. Yeah. So, in fact, I went to Mark Frost and I was like, I need you to explain what's happening. He's like, I can't. I'm like, no, but I literally <laughs> don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> like, none of it makes yeah. any sense. Like, you have to at least explain to me what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, you know, and he did. He's like, oh, yeah, OK, I'll give you that. OK, that's good. You know, but I will say that's that that good. scene on the way. It's funny. On the way to work, I was like, and it never really occurs to me. But in this moment, it did. I was like, oh, a bunch of people are going to see this. Yeah. And I'm going to either be good or I'm going to be really bad. Yeah. You were really good. You were and, really good. It, and one of the things that I love about this new it feels weird calling it a new season it's a new thing right and, and the return is it's well named because you know you're you're talking about how the you didn't feel or the need to have a connection with the original series it's kind of beautifully done because i'm sure i'm not the first person to say this leland palmer character in the mm. original series laura's father's mm. character has, has some similar moment. emotional beats and moments right As someone who deeply believes himself to be a good person having a moment of just you know just the, the rawest emotion possible of real, realizing that maybe there was a darker place. Yeah. You went to a darker place, that something was there. And so it's it's nice in a way knowing you didn't see that. You weren't Yeah, I'm it. curious. I'm but, curious to go back and look at it now. Yeah. But there's similar feelings. And that's sort of what the show is doing, too, in a completely new, I would say radically new way. Right. Are you enjoying watching the show now? I... It's complicated because you're in it, too. I'm, I, I am, but I... But I I've been in other things and never watched it. I mean, God knows, I didn't watch State of Affairs. I mean, bless it. But but like, if Descendants is on cable, do you watch it? Like to no, 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 no. no. And uh, but, I mean, I love Descendants. Yeah. I think Descendants is an actual masterpiece. I I, I actually you know, we've been talking a lot around our office about like strangely rewatchable movies, where it's like a movie yeah. that even though it's 
got like this darkness to it. Like it's just like you're, it's there's a, a a part of it that is so entertaining and mm-hmm. compel, compulsive to watch that. And Descendants is weirdly like every time it's on cable. Yeah. I'm like I'm gonna watch 30 minutes of Descendants. He he's in he's an incredible filmmaker. Yeah. And I think he made an amazing movie that lost to a silent film. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you're like, what? Yeah. What? What is that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> really? Um, but the, uh, yeah, I, I, I watched the show. I find it oddly alluring. I, I really find it frustrating at times. And I'm like, I don't know why people love it as much as they do, but yet I am drawn to watch it continually. Yeah, there's something in there that is alive. Yes, you're like, what is episode nine? It drives me, or episode eight, drives me crazy. Like, who does that? And yet I I didn't fast forward it. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the whole damn thing. I talk about it multiple times. So he has something that gets under your skin that, you know, I wish he cut out fast. You know, sometimes I'm like, why is he on the shot? Like, it drives me bananas. We, we just had this conversation last week where I was just, I think we were talking mostly about the Dougie stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, it's like sometimes it's just, we could, we could jump ahead a little bit. And Andy was like, I think that there is a, a degree, there are certain fans that are just like, it's, it, it's, it is what it is because it's what he's making. And mm-hmm. in that sense, it has to be exactly what he wants. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, that's, I, I go with that. I mean, and I do think that he is, I think that there is, you know, cause sometimes I'm like, is this as layered as everyone believes? Mm-hmm. And my confirmation is it's more layered than you even know. What makes you say that? Um, conversations outside the box. Yeah. Conversations with some people. The guy are, the guy waiting in line? No, not that guy. <laughs> that guy explained it to you. Doctor, not doctor, doctor, doctor Twin Peaks, like, no. the San Diego community. No, but, good. <laughs> a crazy guy <laughs> in line yes. told me. Uh, no, but it's, you know, I'm, it's, it's even more layered than we think. And part of that is super complicated to track. You know, part yeah. of that has been like, how was the vibe? I don't. I hope it doesn't get deeper than eight because I don't know if my mind can actually process that. <laughs> like, it's gonna be like, yeah, what? it's possible. <laughs> yeah, you know, I will say too, it's also it's built to be one movie. It's yeah. not built to be yeah. broken up. Although it's broken up in very interesting way, it's kind of compelling to dip in and out week to week. I find, and then you know, he's he's crafted this alternative way to put together a TV show where there's a musical performance almost every yeah, week, yeah. and you're starting to. I'm starting to get used to the rhythms of it now. I mean, yeah. we've had 11 weeks to do it, but it's it's exciting. Can I say, I also think that the intro loads you into that space in it's such an incredible narcotic. way. Mm-hmm. It's it's super, uh, it, it's super alluring. Even the Rancho. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. You load in. It's, yeah. it's great. Um, Was the vibe among the cast who you hadn't met before? Sure. Um, Everyone feeling good, like celebratory. They all love it. And They're fun. all in. I mean, I think that the cast that's back is over in the moon to be back. Sure, yeah. Um, Dana is like, you know, I think he's couldn't be happy. I mean, all of them are couldn't be happier. And Kyle is like, sort of this. And I never met Kyle. Yeah, I'm like, hi, he's I'm Matt. Nice and like in Comic Con, like on the fourth interview, I finally got around to yeah. introduce myself. Um, but he's. You know, he's kind of like a perfect number one on the call sheet. Yeah. There's a generosity. You're talking about the, David Lynch as someone who leads these, you know, the, the standing ovations for everyone. But one of the things I'm struck by in the show as someone who's had a, a quarter century relationship with it is the mm-hmm. generosity towards the, the cast members. You know, Dana Ashbrook gets this opportunity and they and Lynch gave him, Lynch and Frost gave him these beautiful scenes, emotional scenes. And now yeah. he can be a father and something do something different. And the, the gentleness where he treats, you know, the, the character that you saw, the Major Briggs character. Mm-hmm. 
Don S. Davis died quite some time ago, but he's being given the send off. You know, he's being treated with respect. There's mm-hmm. a kindness to the whole thing, which is so always so interesting and incongruous because the show has such cruelty to it. Yeah. You know, or the world of the show. The show itself is actually kind of, I don't want to say optimistic, but it's humanist in a way. Yeah, yeah. There's a sweetness to it. Um, I want to, we could talk, <laughs> I could talk about Twin Peaks all day. I did want to expand the. Yeah, sure. I mean, I keep. I mean, we can satisfy your every desire if you want. Well, I also don't want to know too much. But but I want. But the crazy thing is, you don't know. I don't know anything. Yeah. Nobody knows anything except for Kyle. Nobody knows anything. Um, I want to talk specifically about how, for a lot of moviegoers, they know you very well from a number of roles earlier in your career, Mm -hmm. right? And even when I told people who were coming in, there were people who were like. Scream! I love Scream. Or someone was like, I watch Wicker Park all the time. I had a Wicker Park this morning. Somebody's like, just like, holy shit, ask him about Wicker Park. Yeah, so so people so love you in me. these specific roles. So they know Scooby Doo. You know, so many of these movies are terrible. <laughs> but if you watch, like people are like, Thirteen Ghosts is amazing. I'm like, nope, it's not. <laughs> it is not. The Dream Shatterer. Dude, I mean, yeah. it's like, but like you know, it's so funny. Like Hackers is a movie. Hackers, yeah, Hackers, Hackers is a movie. If Hackers if, is a movie, if stop I go there. to Seattle right now. Yeah, I. It's like. It's like me and then Ichiro in terms of like who's more famous. <laughs> it, I, it's crazy that that movie has was sort of irrelevant when it came out. Yeah. And like 10 years later, I'll walk into an Apple store and I'm bigger than Bill Gates. Yeah. I mean, it's, you you're, know, it's your serial killer. 20-something-year-old you is on the set of Hackers. Yeah. Johnny Lee Miller, Angelina, all these people. You're wearing, Amazing. you're wearing very accurate clothing. You're probably like, clothing. this internet <laughs> thing is never going to happen. You know, you're I'm really, wearing, I'm wearing ro- rollerblades. You're wearing rollerblades just rollerblades. because... What are you thinking in that moment? Are you like, I've made it, or you're like, this is silly? wonder if they'll hire me back at For Geronimo's Bomba Bay Cafe. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I mean, look, I am not, for better or for worse, I am super happy. I am not the person on set that goes, this sucks. I'm on the person on set going, this is amazing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, In the Name of the King, to me, is still... I mean, it's the literally like the 13th worst movie ever made. Uwe <laughs> Boll made the 13th worst movie in the history of filmmaking. And I was on set going, I love it. I what love do you it. love about it? What is it? Oh, well, there's, first well, of all, I mean, Uwe like, Boll is yeah. the best. Okay, so like, he's he, is what they say. He is like, people he is, love, and he is great. Yeah. And if he hears this, he'll be like, oh, Lillard, fuck He'll be so <laughs> angry um, that I'm slagging off his movie. But. Look, I mean, I got to run clear, around. This is in the name of a king, a dungeon siege, siege tale. tale. Yes. yes, give it the respect it yes, deserves. Yes, you're right. Absolutely. Okay. I'll never. By the way, at the read through, it was like a 220 page script. Awesome. I'm like, when are we getting cuts? <laughs> and the first day, he's like, No, he's going to try to make a trilogy. I'm like, I think you have to pay me for all three. <laughs> I don't think you can shoot 225 and then make it one movie. <laughs> like, I'm calling a union. Yeah. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> But that's Uwe Boll. I it, mean, like, he's, he's For people great. who don't know, can I read the cast of this movie? Because it's incredible. It's in, by the way, that's why it's I took the job. Jason Statham, Lily Sobieski, John Reese davies Ron Perlman, Ray Liotta, Burt Reynolds, and our man Matt Lillard right here. Incredible. Yeah, that, th- this is- a, I would go to a dinner party. Yeah, yeah. That, let alone get paid to be in a movie. That's my oh, second yeah. favorite Lillard cast, though. That's Where's your second the first favorite. Because Perfect Score has Darius Miles in it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you are officially the first person to ever say anything about Perfect Score in any capacity. That has an insane cast. It's that has an insane Scarlett cast. Johansson, Chris Evans, Lillard, and Darius Miles. Yeah, wow. and um, the big four. Yeah, Erica Christensen. Yeah. yeah, like it's an incredible cast. Yeah, that were like these. Li- I have a great story about that. There was a. Um, I was friends with Brian who directed it and I came up and did this little part and he's like, hey, could you just talk to the cast? I'm like, why? He's like, well, they're going out to like four in the morning <laughs> and they're partying like every single night and they're getting to work and they're not waking up until like two. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so I, I call Chris Evans. He played my brother. Yeah. Sweetest guy in the world and actually an incredibly talented actor for a guy with yeah. such great abs. Yeah. Super talented. It's frustrating, right? We it's feel that really way about aggravating. that's He's how got... we feel about David Benioff, who's like writes Game of Thrones and also is oh, tall, yeah. handsome, and married to Amanda Peet. Oh, it's like, no. Just pick one. You know? just, <laughs> you're a jerk. Yeah, it's the worst. And Anyways, nice. I called him and I said, "Hey," and on the phone is his hotel room. I'm like, "Hey, this is Matt. I'm leaving. Listen, do great work. You're too handsome to be a character actor. You yeah. need to like, you need to in these moments rise up and excel. Yeah, and do stupid things later. But like, dude, f- come on, man. Do you Bring think your he game. Looked up at the hotel mirror and was like, "I'm Captain America." <laughs> well, I think so. Like, if you, it was like the sliding doors moment. If you hadn't done that, he was just like, "I'll just be Bucky or whatever." Can't yeah. do he's stealing my parts. Yeah, <laughs> forever. But he's. Uh, I was like, you know, it's time. Like, you gotta focus. Yeah. And he did. Well, the reason I brought up those movies was not just to say those names in that order because it's incredible or to get Captain America dirt, but because one of the most exciting things is the last few years to see you show up in The Descendants, to see you show up on The Bridge and Hall yeah. to Catch Fire and now Twin Peaks. And these are very different parts and you're still acting the hell out of them. Is this a conscious – well, what's that like for you basically to go from being known for a certain type of movie and then taking these jobs, getting these jobs, still working – and having different opportunities. A lot of them, ones I'm mentioning, other than the, the Descendants, are on TV. Yeah. Um, look, it's a, it's a long and hard road. Any working class blue-collar actor mm-hmm. has a long journey. Mm-hmm. And it is not always pretty. And sometimes it sucks. And, you know, I tell the story all the time to, to kids I teach. You know, I had a moment sometime before, right before I turned 40. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks at me, not Chris. He yeah. knows I'm already over the threshold. <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, well, we were just talking about the impact of turning 40 yeah. earlier, but the, uh, I had this moment where somebody called me to ask if I, asked if I was interested in, in um, Dancing with the Stars. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment where, you know, I, I had done big movies and I had been the lead in Scooby-Doo, you know, playing Shaggy, the lead. Mm-hmm. I got paid a lot of money. It was a huge success. And I was like, oh, I'm set. I'm going to now sort of control my own destiny. I'm a legit Hollywood's sort of success, mm-hmm. which was could have actually was the farthest thing from the truth, because I had really kind of pigeon my hold to be pigeonholed myself to be this kind of, you know, in a movie that nobody respected and mm-hmm. nobody really liked, and I was kind of like people sort of thought me as a hack at that time, at least I felt that way, and and I wasn't getting offers and mm-hmm. I wasn't getting jobs, and so I at the time I was with like you know the biggest agent the biggest manager and so I would call my agent and say hey I need a job and I would get a job and the job was worth X amount of dollars and it was great but I was living this lifestyle where oh, I'm going to make money we had a big house mm-hmm. and we had private schools and fast cars and we were kind of bloated mm-hmm. you know we were living on hype and I wasn't making the money and the I would get a job. But, you know, then I would get another job like six months later that was for less money and less money and this declining scale. 
I was like, well, I'll always be able to go back to TV. Well, I did a pilot and it didn't get picked up. And I get a, and did another pilot, didn't get picked up. And so I'm on this sort of spiral down. And Is this I'm, like early 2000s? Like when are these pilots? Early, uh, no, it's, like, long, it's, it's after that. Like seven, it's, eight years ago. Yeah, seven, seven eight years, years ago. ago. Um, I'm 47, so I was like seven years yeah. ago. I was like right before I turned 40. And, um, you know, and look, I was in a weird place. I wasn't the kid I was in Scream. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a star. Um, I wasn't big enough to open a box. You know, and that was like foreign sales were big. And a long story short, along comes this offer where I can make a lot of money. And people looked at me like, you should do it. And I turned to my wife and I said, we are living on ego. It was like this come to Jesus moment where I was like, I'm not what I think I am. I'm not special. I'm not a star. I'm not, you know, I'm all these things that I'm not. And the more I sort of sell out, the less value I have in my co- who I am. And my dream coming up was to be a great actor. Mm-hmm. Um, if I take Dancing with the Stars, I'm, I'm never coming back. And so on three consecutive phone calls, I fired my agent who I loved, my manager who I loved even more, spoke at my wedding, and my lawyer. And I'm like, I have to just change my life. We sold our house, we got rid of our cars, and we downsized our life to a point where we could manage. Mm -hmm. And I went back to take jobs that were built on work. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and look, that's a hard thing. I mean, when you don't work for a long time and you finally do get a job and it's a great job, they're not paying you. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you make scale 10 when you're working with George Clooney on Descendants. Yeah. And Alexander Payne. I mean, you're making... You know, which is good money if you make it every week. But if you haven't worked in a year and you make scale 10, you know, that $5,000 for the year doesn't go very far. Right. So it was this kind of crazy, like, redirect of my life. And we changed everything. And I went back to teaching. So I was like, in the worst case scenario, I'll just do good work and I'll teach. And eventually maybe I'll get another shot. And along comes this movie called Descendants, mm-hmm. where I walked in and I said to Alexander Payne, I'm never going to get this job. He's like, why do you say that? I'm like, look at me. I'm never going to be the guy that gets George Clooney's wife. He's like, well, why don't you, you know? Because the long, the longer version of that story was like, I wasn't even supposed to be in the audition. They had snuck me into the audition. Hmm. And in, I found out that I got snuck into the audition as I was walking in. And I said to him, I was like, I'm never getting this job. He's and like, he was just like, well, just try. He's like, well, just, I was like, I have to go take my kids to this movie. Do you mind if we just do this fast? So I can get out of here. It's like, yeah, great. And now uh, audition is like, that's the best audition I've ever seen. I'm like, well, too bad. I'm never going to get this job. He's like, well, why don't you leave? And like, you know, five months later, right at my 40th birthday, I get this job. And Chris Evans called you. And like, Chris Evans yourself. like, you have to. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long rambling story. Sorry. But no, the idea awesome. was that, you know, look, I, I was like, you know, it's hard in this business to, to, to get, to go all the way, to be an actor your whole life. It seems like though, and you've done... Like Andy was just rattling off some of the the credits you've had over the last couple of years, and they're among the most respected and beloved, critically beloved uh, shows on on television. It seems as though you've been a beneficiary of good dramatic, just good storytelling coming to these various new platforms, and also television ramping up dramatic storytelling in yeah. a way. And it is have you felt like the combination of like you kind of. <laughs> like you said, returning to the work and also there being slightly more opportunities for something like the bridge, which ultimately did not get the run it should have gotten, but it got on the air in the mm-hmm. first place, which mm-hmm. was still cool. 
and something like Halt and something like Twin, like Twin Peaks is different. But do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, has there been like a sea change in the industry that's co- coincided with like a bit of luck for you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, it's funny. I mean, for sure, because I'm, I'm, I feel like I've done good work on shows that are cool shows. Yeah. I mean, Halt's a great show that nobody's really watching, unfortunately. But, you know, I, I go back, to, you know, and Bridge is the, I think, the best work I've ever done. And I got a chance to work on it continually. Mm-hmm. You know, I got great words for two years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got 26 episodes of, like, great television. Um, and you got to play so many different notes, you know. Yeah, you, I got to do you, everything. You, you got an arc, a huge arc, like a redemption arc. Yeah. And you got to... Um, you're talking about Rush in that scene? Who are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to do... It, 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 I got to be funny and I got to do these crazy, like, I mean, the opening sequence. I mean, the guy is supposed to die in episode four. Right. And Elwood just, they just kept writing me back and like, well, we'll keep you around for a little while longer. In fact, they wrote a script, the finale, first season where I died. Wow. And he's like, just hold, just don't read the end. <laughs> We're going to see what we can do. Yeah, but and it's I also it came back. it's interesting because you're talking about it and and what you thank you for telling us that story first of all because I do yeah. I don't think that people understand what being no. an actor is. No, it's bit. super and look you know? and I and I like to be at the front of that story going yeah. look, it's really hard. Like you know, if you don't work for a year and they pay you $5,000 for a great job that doesn't feed your kids in Southern yeah. California. Yeah. You know, they take half I mean it's you know, it's a really so and right now it's worse than it has ever been for actors. Mm-hmm. Because yes, there's great work. Yeah, right. Right. Amazon's not giving residuals. Right. And Amazon's like, we have Titus Welliver. We don't need you. So you're going to take it or leave it. Right. Supply and demand dictates that they can do that. And I'm not a guy that is in demand. So you're taking what you get. Now, look, I would rather bet on my – because I had the wherewithal to rejigger my life mm-hmm. – to bring it down to a place where I can manage. I'm able, and my wife went back to work, and like, you know, we try to continually live in this humble space. I can take that job. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if it didn't have Scooby-Doo to live on, because I still do the voice of Shaggy now, mm-hmm. if I didn't have, you know, I had to do a big payday, which I'll never see again, but that payday, you know, has helped me in my life. And the way we sort of like took our house and basically almost bought our new house and it's good. My life's manageable. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't have a manageable life, if I lived like a normal life, yeah. I would be gone. Yeah. I'd be in the middle of Iowa teaching act, which is great. I'm sure I'm, Iowa's a fantastic place, but I would be gone. Mm-hmm. Like so many actors are yeah. gone because you can't hold on. You can't make a living. You can't feed yourself. Yeah, the amount you must have to work to sustain yourself or the amount of like the the the, the amount of luck you must need for those roles to hit. I just I was just like cuz you were on Good Wife, you you did do some network shows that were probably yeah, but yeah. Good Wife is scale ten again. Yeah. Look, scale ten for those of you listening, it's like you know I think the scale right now is thirty nine hundred dollars for a week of work, mm-hmm. but you pay fifty percent to the government because they are acting like you make that every week of your life, and then you pay ten percent to your manager and ten percent to your agent off the top. Right. So you basically make thirty five cents to the dollar, which you know if you're not working a lot, that's a it's not a lot of money. Yeah. So. You know, yes, you do do Good Wife, which is a great show. And it's again, that's like one of those shows that's like it's good to be on. You're building your career. You're trying to be relevant for a network to hire you later. Yeah. But I think Um, what's amazing to think about in the scheme of this, in the scheme of your IMDb page, is is the versatility because you you did the 
high profile thing. Yeah. The, you did, you know, and to do a high profile thing, this is true in like for pop stars with like a pop song or a big movie star, you have to do like the one thing that people like, you know, you have to do your, uh, your catchphrase sure, your yeah, yeah. Whatever, and you did it and it worked and you got paid from it and, and you get to keep working from it. Um, but you also, and you can also hit a dramatic moment like we're talking about in Twin Peaks, yeah. which is, you know, in many ways the opposite of that, certainly in terms of pay, but you could hit sure. that high too. But I keep coming back to the bridge, not because I wish it had been But it's funny, on, just but, real quick. So just, yeah. but I do think it's interesting that it, it kind of leaves me in the middle. Well, no, but this, I was about to fill oh, in yeah. the middle by saying on the bridge, you did something that I think is undervalued and incredibly hard, it, which is you played a character that people wanted to spend time with over a long period of time. You know, there, there are actors who you want to spend an hour and a half with, and there are actors that you remember a little bit and you have that moment you spent with them. But there's a certain kind of performance that I think is rare and undervalued, and it's especially valuable in television, which is you want to spend time with them. Yeah. Right. Every week you want to see them. And that is a different calibration because if you're playing that character like like Shaggy or like Bill Hastings, right. that might not be an every week hang. No, you don't you know want to hang I mean? with that dude. That's a, that's a, that's a third skill set. So you right. sort of have to have these different – you have to be very versatile to survive. Yeah, I and I, the, yeah but, and the, but I will say that I don't think in Hollywood today versatility – I don't think they care. I don't yeah. really don't – I you know I love all those execs out there, but they don't. Because they can plug the hole. They just some want. Other way. Tw- I mean, they want. They're trying to protect their job. They're trying to protect the bottom dollar. They want Twitter hits. They want mm-hmm. somebody with great abs. That they can put on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. I mean, mm-hmm. I get it. They're all trying to make money as an actor. How are your abs? They're terrible. I'm, I'm 47. <laughs> this is not my specialty. Uh, well, we. I was going to wrap up because we've been. I mean, we've been talking so much about your work. Are you watching anything right now that you've been particularly enamored by? Is there anything on? Well, Handmaid is Handmaid's Tale is fantastic. I think that Moss gives the the, the best performance she, around. She's unreal. She's unreal. It's like a different. I, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear you say that as an actor because you can reach those. You, you know, you showed us in Twin Peaks. You can you can hit those places. Yeah. She just seems otherworldly because she's always in those places. She's uh, always. She's on. She's remarkable. That show's remarkable. Um, you know, I think, look, I do think that, you know, sort of with Twin Peaks being an example, I mean, they are allowing people, the good thing about these, the Hulus and the Amazons, like they're allowing you to make your show. Yeah. They're not sitting on you to be like, well, demographics say, I mean, they're giving license for people to make great art. Yeah. And I think that's a good example. Um, we just started the OA, which I'm excited about. I'm a year behind on Twin on uh, <laughs> on uh, Lord uh, Lord of the Rings, on uh, Game of Thrones. Um, we're not a huge TV family. Okay, not right. huge. I mean, final, I like it. Final question for you. Yeah, who killed? I don't want this to be a fun question. I want to talk about me longer and harder. <laughs> this is what we do here. <laughs> who killed Laura Palmer? Bro, I don't even know who Laura Palmer is. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Perfect. She dead? Is she really dead? Well, we thought I so. I mean, she's in that weird room with the <laughs> red curtain and we, the we music should, and the you backwards. You should the show every week. Have I mean, you I not don't seen know it? what but being in it. Yeah, it's I don't perfect. know who who she is. It's actually is metaphysically. He's right. He's right. Who is she? We don't know. Who yeah. is she? Here's what who I'm going to say. Know? You are welcome back anytime. Let's talk about yourself or other shows. Uh, dude, We'd love to have you why, come back. Can we make this a two-hour special, Matthew Lillard Bonanza? <laughs> we, can, we can do Lillard Bonanza. That yeah. sounds miserable, actually. I gave you all my good juice. You got it. We got it. Matthew Lillard, thank you so much for joining Thanks, us, man. man. Okay, thank you so much to Matthew Lillard for giving us, be so generous with his time. Uh, this Thursday, no Andy, so we'll figure something out. Who knows? Good luck. Solo. 
uh, the the Chris monologues. The Tom Hardy without the other guy. Uh, anything to tease? We got Talk the Thrones next Sunday, obviously, after the East Coast airing, mm-hmm. just directly after scenes from next week. You can just go to twitter.com slash ringer. We are very available there. Um, nothing else really to announce, right? Nah, just, summertime. We'll stick, stick with it. Oh, uh, I would recommend that folks check out two things. Mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I was going to bring this up on Thursday, but two things. One, Ozark is not that bad. Interesting. I know that Allison Herman disagrees with me, but but maybe we'll get into that. And uh, if you are looking for a fun movie experience this coming week, Atomic Blonde is that shit. Yeah? Yeah, it's really, really, really cool. I go to movies now. Yeah. Maybe I'll see it. Atomic Blonde was a lot of fun. Uh, James McAvoy really just going for it. .org. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday and then next Monday. Take care. Great job, Ransky! Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Spotify. Did you know that you can listen to this very podcast, The Watch, and others from the Ringer fam on Spotify? Yes! The streaming service that you know and love for music is also fully loaded with podcasts. Find The Watch in the podcast section within the Browse tab when you're using Spotify on mobile, or just search for The Watch in the app uh, while you're there. Click to follow us and have new episodes delivered right into your Spotify library. Head to spotify.com slash podcasts for more.